Greetings. Welcome to the first lesson in the letter to the Hebrews. So in the introduction, I spoke a lot about the occasion of the letter. Like why was it written? What was the purpose? And something about the transition, the transitional characteristics of the letter. It's a transition from the dispensation of law and the prophets to the church age. So it's very important to kind of keep that in mind in the back of your mind while we review these things. And it'll it'll make it, uh, I think, more clear as to why the person who the author of the letter approached these different aspects the way that they do, because we're talking to Hebrew believers who have come out of a um, the law economy. You know, this has been a part of their lives for uh, hundreds of years. So now we're moving into a new dispensation, a new relationship. Uh, behold, all things are new. And so they're going to need some handholding to be able to fully embrace all the things that God has for them. And God wants us to embrace all the things that he has for us. That's something that he wants for us. And uh just like these Hebrew believers, we we need to um, to know uh, who God is and what He's done for us and what our relationship is to God. This letter has a lot to do with relationships. So, um, without further ado, uh, we're going to start by seeing Jesus. And whenever you start with Jesus, you're always starting on the right foot. So the key, the focus of this letter is Jesus. But it's not the Jesus that we know. And I say that because we know Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Lord, you know. They knew Jesus of Nazareth. So it was a little different. You know, these people knew where he lived, his mother, his father, his um, siblings. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he started performing all of these miracles that would testify to, you know, that he was sent from God. And so there needed to be an explanation for the Hebrew believers as to who and what the ministry of Jesus was. And so in us, in, in by them getting this letter and learning those things, we can also learn those things. So it's really interesting if you just keep in mind that they knew Jesus, they knew who he was, they saw him, um, and they needed to know all of what and who his ministry entailed. And this letter to the Hebrews is going to clarify those things in a way to where it's, you know, indisputable. And so much so that, you know, here we are thousands of years later, and we know Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Messiah. So keep that in mind. Um, Jesus is the Christ. He is the one who was in the line of David, who was promised, the Messiah, the proof uh, of all these things, 
was that he was testified by countless miracles, you know, countless, the Bible says. It says that if they were to put all the things that he did, there wouldn't be enough books to contain them, all the miracles he did. So we only have a sample, but uh, definitely the sampling we have is, is enough. So he was testified to by his lineage, being the descendant of David on his mother and his father's side. He's testified as to being the Messiah um, in the proof being in the miracles and the things that he performed and he proclaimed himself to be the Messiah um, and uh, that the father raised him from the dead. You know, that's the, the big thing. Um, all these other things would be important to the nation Israel. But the fact that he was raised from the dead that signifies to the world that he is who he said he was and that the father was pleased with his sacrifice. And that's the key to salvation. You cannot minister the gospel without the resurrection. You know, and we get, you know, we just had uh, Easter holiday and uh, Resurrection Sunday, however you want to um, name it. And everybody talks about, you know, he is risen and they're so excited about the fact that he was raised from the dead. But, you know, the interesting thing is, is that the resurrection of Christ is important every day. And we should be living in the light of these truths every day and not just this one uh, day that everybody has chosen to, you know, go and paint eggs and, you know, uh, post cute pictures of bunnies because, um, that's the, that's the way the world views the resurrection. The, the believers need to see the resurrection as the power of God in their lives every day. So enough about that. Let's, uh, get into the study here. Um, I mentioned that the, there were many people that saw Jesus they knew Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, And that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. So uh, even when Corinthians was written, there were several people who had already, that had saw him after he was resurrected, uh, over 500 people at one time. So this was not a fact to be disputed. So we have to keep keep in mind the when this letter was written, uh, what the purpose is. And the purpose is to establish Jesus of Nazareth as the promised one, the Christ, the Messiah. So uh, in verse one, it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake. Uh, so. We looked at that in the introduction. God has spoken. You know, there's no doubt that that has happened. He's spoken to to mankind with patience and long suffering over an extended period of time. He's communicated to us. You know, there has been communication from God, and God does speak. You know, he's he's still speaking today. He speaks to each of us who are his. That's established in the scripture. Um, he's able to speak in various ways. And in the past, 
He's done that. Uh, sometimes it's through dreams. Sometimes it's directly uh, speaking. Sometimes it's through a burning bush. There's a lot of ways that God spoke in the past. Uh, and that's clearly established. And the, the writer to the Hebrews is now making the connection to the transition that's happened. That yes, in the past, God has spoken to us in many ways. But now something has changed. There, there now is only one communication, one means of communicating to God. Whereas in the past, there was all these different ways that God communicated to us. But now that communication has funneled into a single source. It says, in the past, he spake unto the fathers. And when we talk about the fathers, we're talking about Adam, Abel. Noah, David, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Lot, Rahab. And just saying those people's names should kind of, should stir up in you their story and how they interacted with God or how God actually interacted and initiated the interaction with them. You know, God initiated the interaction with these people and he affected their lives and he affected their lives in such a way that we have these marvelous accounts. And then he says, and by the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah, Daniel, Habakkuk, Samuel. So. Some people who are listening to this are familiar with these books. They're familiar with the themes and the diversity of these books and how that God spoke and interacted and used these individuals in various ways, but consistently in a way that maintained him and his personality, his characteristics, his holiness, his separation. And that's kind of an amazing thing. You know, God has spoken in the past to all these people. And through them, he's spoken to many other people. Um, he used these people in their lives in such a way to minister to uh, his people. And there's a process. There is a, uh, a system that God used to communicate could be the fathers or the prophets. So just like these names should stir up in us kind of the memories of these stories and these interactions, you have to understand with the Hebrews, these people were famous. These people were, you know, the, the Hebrews are descendants of Jacob, Isaac, you know, Lot. You know, these people knew the tribes that these individuals came from, Ezekiel, Daniel, and they can say, well, I'm of that tribe. And so I'm related to them through these, these people. They had all those records in the temple. So these were larger than life figures as far as they're concerned. And um, so God speaking through them had a national significance as well as a spiritual significance. But 
we we enter in that somewhat in that we're familiar with these accounts and if you are familiar with these accounts i'm sure that there's several verses of scripture in the accounts of these people's lives that are significant to you with me i know zachariah there's a verse in zachariah that uh, ministers to me every time i think about it so the the writer to the hebrews is is making that transition saying i understand the past economy the past revelation that is clearly established nobody needs to uh, you know, teach you about the past and how God spoke. But what needs to happen now is you need to know about how he's speaking in the economy that we've transitioned into in this new dispensation of the church age. So he says, uh, verse two, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. So now you can see the transition from the various ways in the past that he's spoken to this single source of speaking in these last days. And the last days um, signifies that there's been a transition, that we're in a different time now, a different economy, a different dispensation. Now we're able to speak directly to God. That's what this verse says. We have direct access to God. We don't need a sacrifice. We don't need a priest. We don't need anything. Jesus has fulfilled and become all those things so that we can have access to God. We now have him. That's what this verse is saying. So it makes me ask the question, you know, am I taking hold of that in my life? Am I taking hold of that fact that I have Jesus? Um, it's something that we need to ask ourselves because I think many times the answer is no, that we don't fully take hold of what that means. And we deny ourselves great blessing uh, because of it. And it's not because Jesus doesn't want us to take hold of it. It's something in us that's preventing it. You know, uh, I was studying this and writing my notes and I accidentally wrote this poem. I was totally not playing, but it turned out it rhymed. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, I have the Lord Jesus constantly. Why would I worry? Why would I doubt? He is mine for eternity. To my soul, I shout. So that's the thing. We should be constantly reminding ourselves that, hey, not only do we have the Lord Jesus, we have him forever. We have him right now. So if we're not taking hold of that truth, the only thing that could be preventing us from doing that is sin. You know, the only barrier between us and God is sin. Now, he did the work to cancel out that barrier positionally, right? But we have a progressive salvation that, you know, sin is still part of our lives. And he says, be ye holy for I am holy. So we have a responsibility for holiness. And when we're, we don't fulfill that responsibility, it becomes a stumbling block. And it causes us not to fully embrace 
all the goodness um, and all the blessing that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says the only thing we need to do is to believe, nothing else. Exercise the faith that is in you by the grace of God. That is all we have to do. And we can fully embrace and enjoy the Lord Jesus. So it says here, uh, he hath in these last days. I want to look at that for a moment because it's important for us to understand what the last days means, what that's referring to. So I spoke a lot about the dispensation or the economy of times and ages in the introduction. So there's an economy of revelation. You know, God has dispensed and revealed more and more as time has progressed to mankind. He's interacted on a different level uh, with man progressively, right? So, you know, we had the interaction with Adam and Eve and uh, then Abel and moving on to Noah and then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he, he interacted with each one of these individuals and uh, Jacob had 12 sons, and then those sons became the fathers of the tribes of Israel. And he interacted with them as a nation. He went from individuals to uh, dealing with people as a nation. And then now uh, we have the church age. So there is an economy there. And it says that we're in the last days. So what does that mean, the last days? I know, or we know for a fact that Paul thought or assumed that he lived in this last time. He spoke about, you know, that from the standpoint of the imminency of the rapture and that he felt that that could happen at any time. And you can see it in his writing. So the last days are in relationship to the next prophesied event. The next big prophesied event is the rapture. It's going to be the rapture of the church age saints. Uh, and then after that, we go into the great day of the Lord or the tribulation period. So that's the order of events that we've been given. And so we're living in the last days, meaning the rapture could occur at any time. Um, the rapture could occur while I'm um, recording this message or it's right after I'm done it's it's the only thing that's preventing the rapture from occurring is all of the church age saints have to be redeemed. So once all of his sheep are redeemed, instantly the rapture occurs. And we don't know when that's going to happen and it could happen at any time. A lot of times, you know, we look at you know the signs and the world as we we live in right now and the things that are going on and you know, well, look, everything's kind of ripe for all the prophecies that have been given about the end, day, the end time in the last days. It seems like, well, everything's in place, which well, probably been in place for a long time. So I don't know that God wants the church to be looking at so much the signs and the seasons. That's really for the nation Israel, because they're the ones that are going to have to go through the tribulation, not us. And so... They need to be wary of that. Well, right now they have a veil over their eyes so they don't uh, understand the economy of God and they don't realize that Jesus is the Christ uh, corporately as a nation. Now, those who have been saved, sure they know, but as a nation, they don't know that. 
And so they're not going to be uh, really paying attention to those things like they should. And I don't know that we need to be caught up in them. The only thing we need to concentrate on is Jesus and serving him with the time that we do have here on earth to serve him. Uh, that's, I think that should be our primary focus. But certainly we need to be aware that we are living in the, in the last days. So um, that's uh, very interesting that that's one of the things that um, kind of frame, frames this revelation so that uh, we are living in that time and we should be aware of it and aware of the what that means in scripture so still speaking of christ uh, his son he says next whom he hath appointed um, it's very important to see the where the action is coming from in these words it says whom he speaking of the father hath appointed so this speaks of a doctrine called the eternal decree of the Godhead. So the eternal decree of the Godhead occurred before anything was created and each member of the Godhead determined to accomplish something in the total work of salvation and exaltation. The, the, the whole point of the eternal decree is to exalt God to the highest point of exaltation. And in doing that, the father agreed to create uh, all things. The son would redeem, for, the father created all things, mankind. The son would redeem mankind and the Holy Spirit would seal mankind. So this is a very condensed version of the eternal decree of the Godhead. And so um, the father appointed that uh, the son would be heir of all things by whom he made the ages. So what does he mean by <clears throat> heir of all things? Well, it means that he would sit on the throne and he would um, take full ownership of all that is deity. All of the deity of the Godhead would rest in the Son. That he would fully take uh, ownership as the heir of all things. So God created the universe. He created all things. All powers, all glory, everything is going to be placed under the feet of the Son. And the Father appointed that that should be. And we are seeing that being worked out in um, in the ages. Because it says um, that whom he appointed heir of all things by whom, which means by Christ, by whom he made the ages. So it says the, the worlds there, but that word means ages. It refers to times and echoes, the the dispensations of times um, were created and divided by the Lord Jesus, by the will of the Father. It says that Jesus created all things, right? By, by him, all things were created and nothing was created except that he created it. So here we see that verse summarized. We see that truth summarized here. 
that the father, right, appointed the son heir of all things. And he will be placed upon the throne. He is upon the throne and he is waiting. He's going to be there until all things are placed under his feet. And it says, by whom were made the ages. So we go back to that times and echoes and, and times past and diverse manners. Things were God revealed things to mankind. And we see that there is this doctrine of the dispensation that God has divided time and the ages based on his will and his revelation. And that's all dispensationalism is. It's being able to identify where those divisions are. Uh, the, the Bible says that we should be rightly dividing the word of truth. So we need to be able to see that, to understand the revelation, the full revelation that God has for us. So this is amazing. This is really wonderful to see how that Jesus of Nazareth is this person. And that's what's being established here. So we have established that Jesus of Nazareth is God. That's basically what we've said so far. Uh, it's pretty evident that that's what's being established. So next we're going to see some things about the Lord Jesus and who he is, his work, what he's done. And it's going to further establish him as God, as uh, a member of the Godhead. Um, and this needed to be seen because, again, this is someone that they knew. Some of these people grew up with him. And so they needed to understand that the person that they were sitting next to in Hebrew school, that was God. And that has to be pretty amazing. That has to be pretty awesome. But it's no less awesome for us to know that that same person is the one that spoke to us and in, in calling us out of darkness into light. That's the same voice that we hear when, when we are ministered to uh, through God, the Holy Spirit and his word. That's God. That's the Lord Jesus talking. And we need to understand and be properly ministered to and awestruck by that. So here we're going to see some facts um, about the Lord Jesus uh, coming up here in these next in this next verse. Uh, one fact is that Jesus is the revealer of God. Okay. Another is Jesus is the voice of God. The next thing we're going to see is Jesus is the heir of God. We have already seen that somewhat. Uh, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what the voice said out of heaven. And that Jesus is the creator of all things. So we've seen that uh, as well. That he created all things. That, that he was appointed to such to that ministry. Now in verse 3, the author will go into more detail. Now that we've established the preliminary facts. Um, now um, we're going to the, the, we're going to see more about some things about the Lord Jesus that we could not know until Jesus revealed them to us. So there's things about God that we learned in times past through the fathers, through the prophets. And there's certain 
doctrines that we see that are reoccurring throughout scripture. But we get the a more full picture of those doctrines. We get an explanation or an elaboration on those uh, prophecies through the Lord Jesus. And so we can see now how he fulfilled a lot of those things. Uh, those A lot of those things were shadows or or pictures of the actual things in heaven. And now we see Jesus, who is the fulfillment and the actual representation of the things that are in heaven and not, not just a shadow. So um, we're going to see that in verse 3. It says, the Lord came to reveal the Father. So the Father has a role in this eternal decree, and now we're going to see Jesus in his role. He came to reveal the Father, to give us a better picture a better understanding of God. And we couldn't know God apart from the Lord Jesus. It's not possible. There's no way we would know these things. God is inapproachable. And we need a mediator. We need someone to reveal him to us. And that is what Jesus has done. It says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son, but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and to whomever the Son will reveal. That's Matthew eleven twenty seven. So we can't know the Father apart from the Son. It's impossible. We have no access. There's no way we can know the Father. We can know, we can see the Father's works, we can glean some characteristics or some things about the father from his creation, but that's, you know, a pretty tedious process and it still doesn't paint a picture of his perfections, you know, and his will, his divine nature. We can't see that just from his creation. We can only see a shadow of things from his creation, but we can know he exists from the things that he created. So now we have a more full revelation. That's part of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is to show us the Father so that we may know God. Jesus also came to fulfill the law. Uh, he was, and that's important to these Hebrew believers. They need to understand that, you know, the, why the law was given. And the law was a very integral part of their lives. And the, the main thing about the law that it's a reoccurring statement is that no one could fulfill it. That's why they had sacrifices because they were going to constantly fail. But Jesus was able to fulfill the law. Uh, he was in taking on flesh and being a man, becoming the sin bearer and offering as the lamb of God. That's Matthew five seventeen. So in verse three, uh, we take these facts and concisely sum them up. But it also establishes the right of Jesus as the heir of God. So not only are we establishing his role in his ministry as a revealer of the Father, but also his right as the heir. In verse 3 it says, Who being the brightness of glory. So I don't want to go too fast here. The brightness of glory. So the word for brightness 
translates extreme or blinding light. And the word for glory, uh, well, it could be described as dignity, honor, praiseworthy, worshipworthy. So this is Jesus, right? This is the Jesus that we have. And this is how we should be viewing him in our lives. This is the place that he should have in our hearts, our minds, and in our lives. Because this is who he is. All right? So just like these Hebrew believers, we need to be reminded of his perfections, the perfections of Christ. We tend to get very familiar with the Lord, and he wants us to fellowship with him. But we should never get so familiar that we take him off of his throne or we don't see him in this light. He needs to always have an exalted place in our lives. You know, we tend to allow other things to creep in and into our holy worship. And our worship of him should always be holy, set apart, because he is the brightness of the glory of God. That's who he is. Uh, and these Hebrew believers need to be reminded and and told that because they need to understand that the man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the God of the universe, exalted through the heavens. That's the theme of this letter. But it's also something that we need to be reminded of so that we don't get so casual uh, and comfortable with the person of Christ. That we, we always understand our relationship to him. Um, he's very loving and he's, he's, he's come down to our level to bring us up to his level. right? He came down to us so that we might be brought up. And we need to remember that, that he's never, we're never on his level and he's never on our level because he, he was separate from sin. He took him on a body so that we could have fellowship, but he, unlike us, is separate from sin. So we need to keep that in mind and we need to be striving to meet him where he is in holiness and not try to drag him down to where we are. It's very important. I hope that I explained that properly. So we have to maintain a pure hope, undefiled, so that we can enjoy the brightness of his glory. That's what he wants. He wants us to enjoy the brightness of his glory. Then it says, and the expressed image of his person. So Jesus is the expressed image of the Father, of the Godhead. Um, what does that mean? Well, that means Jesus has a personality and his personality is equal to the father. So uh, God has a personality. He has attributes that define his personality, holiness, righteousness, sovereignty, power, glory. Um, they, it's a whole list of attributes. Uh, Arthur Pink, I think, has a wonderful a uh, little book called The Attributes of God. I suggest that anyone uh, who hears my voice, if they don't have that or have not read that, that you get it because it will put, uh, it, it, it helps us to understand and keep uh, a, a right understanding of who the Lord Jesus is and 
and his perfections. And we need to we need that because it not only reveals more about him, but it also will reveal more about us and what we need and also where we're headed because we're going to be placed fully in Christ and we're going to be made to be like him. And so we'll be able to enjoy some of those perfections as well. So Jesus is the expressed image of his person, uh, of the father. So this is how we can fellowship and know the father through the Lord Jesus. Uh, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father had declared him, John 1.18. So we couldn't see God. There's no way we could see God. Nobody has seen God. You know, throughout, there's a lot of manifestations of God to man throughout uh, the scripture uh, and that he's revealed himself, but those are manifestations. Whenever it says the angel of the Lord, that's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. That's who that is. And so he's manifesting himself in different ways so that those individuals can interact with him. But they still have never seen God. We can't. We wouldn't be able to see him and survive. We don't have the ability to see him uh, because of his perfections, because of who and what he is. So that's the ministry of the role of the Lord Jesus is to reveal the father to us. Uh, the father is unapproachable, holy, uh, unapproachable light, so pure that we can't perceive this light. It's, it's, it's more than we're able to uh, comprehend. But Jesus has bridged that gap. That's what uh, the letter to the Hebrews is about. Um, an example of this is uh, in Acts chapter 7, verse 32. It says, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and does not behold. Then said the Lord to him, put off thy shoes from thy feet for the place where thou standest is holy ground. So this is the God that of the Old Testament, the God that revealed himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and Moses. And Moses trembled. He was afraid. There's a terror that came across to him because he was before God. Because as a sinner in the sinful flesh, that's what it's like to approach God. There's only fear. There's only terror. You know, there's a, there's a, because there's, we're in the, we're, we would be before holiness and that holiness demands holiness around it. You can't be unholy. You can't bring anything unholy before holy. And, that, and, and, and Moses felt that, and he was terrified, right? But Jesus has solved that problem, right? He's taken away that sin, that barrier that keeps us from having a fellowship with God. And so uh, we see in verse 33 of Acts, it says that 
He said, take off your shoes because where you stand is holy ground. So that's who Jesus is. That's who the father is, holy and righteous. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He's taken us from, you know, coming before a burning bush revelation to someone who we can see, a face that we can recognize, a voice that we can hear without being afraid. I mean, we should be jumping up and down and praising God just from that. That's what we should be doing right now. When you, when you think about the transition that's happened, and that's what the letter of Hebrews is saying, that in the past, God revealed through the fathers, now we have Jesus. There's a big difference between what Moses and Abraham and Isaac experienced and what we have now. And it's a difference that's positive. We have Jesus. We don't have a burning bush. We don't have a voice waking us up in the middle of the night saying, get up and go where I tell you. We have Jesus. We have the person. Someone we can approach. Someone who has approached us. It's, it's pretty amazing. So, we, we now in these last days have Jesus, who is the expressed image, image of the person of um, the Father. In Jesus, we have all the holiness, the power, the majesty that caused Moses to tremble uh, in reverential fear. We have all of that. Jesus still possesses all those characteristics, right? We still have that. He's, that's still there. Um, and... You know, we're holding on to that. That's what we should be holding on to. We should be embracing that in our lives, that that's the Jesus that has saved us, that has called us out of darkness, that we have a intimate relationship with now. You know, not one full of fear or doubt. It's confidence because it's in love. He has revealed the love of the Father. That is the primary thing that I believe that has changed from the Old Testament uh, economy to the church age. Is It's the same love. God has always manifested his love to mankind throughout the ages. But now we have a closer walk with him. We can move closer. He has moved closer to us so that we can move closer to him. That's the difference. That's the wonderful thing that we need to embrace now is this closeness that we can have to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, we're going to see something of the scope of his power uh, and upholding all things by the word of his power. That's what the, what it says. So says that Jesus is upholding all things. Well, how does the moon stay in orbit? Jesus. Um, why is your heart still beating right now? Jesus. Where's your next breath coming from? That comes from Jesus. So he is in control of the all things. All things by what? By the word of his power. The word of God is far more important than I think we give 
place for it. We, 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 too often we take it lightly. The word of God is the very power of God. Jesus is the word and the word is Jesus. So if you mishandle the word, you're mishandling Jesus. It's very important that the word has the proper place in our life. The word of God is God. It's that simple. So we cannot take it lightly. We have to be very careful in how that we approach the word. The place the word has in our life. The way that we speak of the word. It's very important that we are careful about that so that we don't so that we honor the Lord Jesus in every way that is befitting the brightness of his glory. The power of God is in his word. That's how people are saved through the word of God. It's because that's where the power is. If you need anything, any power to accomplish anything, uh, something overwhelming you. Well, you're going to find the answer, the power to uh, to accomplish whatever you need to accomplish is in the word of God. That's that's where you need to be. That's where you find the answers. That's where you find the strength. That's where you find direction. That's where we find uh, all the power needed to live this life. Right. The question is, how much of his word is in us? You know, we have to put forth the effort to study his word so that it becomes a part of us. His word needs to be in us. We need to be filled with his word. We need to be filled with God, the Holy Spirit, who takes his word and makes his word applied to our lives and shows us and gives us direction through his word. So we need to consume his word. You know, it's more important than our daily food is to, to consume the word of God, to make the word a part of us. Very important. So we've seen that the glory of God is in Christ. The power of God is in Christ. Um, what is Jesus chosen to do with his glory and power? You know, he has all this glory, he has all this power. What, what does he do with it? Well, it says, when he had by himself purged our sins. That's what he's chosen to do with his glory and his power. To deliver man from the penalty and consequence of sin. That's what God has done. He says, when he had by himself. So here we see that you and I have no part in this purging of sins. We cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do or we don't have a role in salvation. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit accomplish salvation. They plan, purposed, and accomplish it. Not us. Because it says here, when he by himself, right? Not along with you, not along with me. There's no partnership. This is something that God accomplishes himself because we have no power. He has the power. He has the ability. He's the only one that could be the lamb of God. He's the only man that could live apart from sin. Okay. And be 
the sacrifice for sin. He's the only one that could please the Father. He is the one that the Father has made an heir. So he's the one that purged our sins. So we got to keep that in mind. It's very important that we always understand that our salvation rests solely on the person and work of Christ and nothing else. Jesus alone purged our sins. You were dead in your sins, but God made you alive. That's what the word says. We were dead in our sins. Dead people can't do anything, but God made us alive. So in the Old Testament economy, the past times of verse 1, sins were covered over by the blood of lambs. Like that's, the, that's how it used to work. Uh, now, Jesus has by himself purged our sins. So we went from sins being covered over, right? They didn't go away. They were just covered over by the blood of the of lambs and, and goats and the sacrificial animals. But now in these last days, Jesus has by himself purged our sins. This word for purge means still a washing away. It's a sacred work of washing, like a sacred washing. The sacred work of Jesus as the high priest was seen in this act. Uh, on the great day of atonement, uh, the Hebrews had uh, every year, once a year, a great day of atonement. And uh, there was a high priest chosen that would go into the Holy of Holies with blood, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and they had a rope around his ankle. Because no one could go into the Holy of Holies. It was but once a year, and it had to be the high priest who was chosen. He had to wear this uh, particular clothing, and he had to take particular type of blood and 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 everything was very specific and if he did anything wrong or god didn't accept uh the worship uh, the way that he executed this office he would be killed instantly so that's why and nobody could go in and get the body so they tied a rope around his ankle so that they could pull him out if god killed him well god never did they they executed the office correctly and also he was representing the people because that was a special day that he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And if God accepted that blood offering, then he would walk out alive. But if God didn't accept it and he was going to hold the people accountable for their sins for that year, then God would strike him dead. Well, God never struck him dead, but they also had little bells on the rope so they could hear him moving around so they'd know he wasn't dead. So it would they 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 had this all planned out because they knew that there's a possibility that God wouldn't accept their sacrifice. But with Jesus, the Father was gonna accept his sacrifice. There was no question of that. And so he entered into this holy of holies that we have no right to enter. And the father accepted his blood on our behalf. And it's, it's, it's amazing. But that's what this word purged is speaking of, of this ceremonial washing away of sins. So it's establishing Jesus as the high priest. Now in the last days, in the age that we live in, Jesus has spoken with his blood, a blood that is perfect and undefiled, a blood 
full of eternity and power. Think about that. The blood of Christ is eternal. It has an eternal power and testimony so that it's able to wash away sins. Uh, he didn't just cover up sins, but he washed them away. He done, he's done away with sin forever. And now it's just whoever he wills to reveal the Father to, uh, they are given this blood. They're given access to him, to all that is the life of Christ. He says the life is in the blood, right? So he has shed that on our behalf. And his blood represents each of us who he saves. We're represented by that blood. So that when the Father sees us, he sees us through that crimson hue. And he's gonna he's so pleased with the sacrifice of the Son that now we get to enter into this holy relationship with God by means of the blood of Christ. That's how that works. That's the work that's been done. And it's finished. He is risen. You know, he rose, and that's the signification to the world, but specifically to his people, that the Father has accepted his sacrifice and made him heir of all things. So the last part of this verse speaks of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus. In all the Levitical priesthood, the tabernacle, the temple, each of the sacred vessels that were used in worship, all of those things point to the Lord Jesus and his ministry. Uh, the lampstand, the altar, the table of showbread. The table of showbread had bread that was pierced. I mean, I mean, and who is our savior but the one who was pierced? Um, there's, it's all of those things point to Christ. The Levitical priests were constantly making offerings because they were covering up sin. So they had to constantly make offerings offerings on behalf of the people. People were constantly coming to the temple and to the tabernacle with these sacrifices to cover over their sins. So the Levitical priests were constantly moving, constantly ministering in some capacity. The one piece of furniture that was missing in the tabernacle and in the temple, you know, they had a table, they had lampstand, they had altar, but there was one piece of furniture that they did not have. And that's that there were no chairs because there was no sitting down because the work was never complete, right? So they never sat down. They were constantly having to offer sacrifices and, and serve the people. The Levitical priests never were able to sit. They couldn't sit because sin was only covered over. It was never done away with. It was never purged. No one could purge sin. Well, no one until the Lord Jesus came. Uh, in Revelations 5.1, it says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
So here we see the Lord Jesus, the one who's worthy, the one who is the representation of the Father. Now he has accomplished something that no one was worthy of to, to be able to do in taking on a body and becoming a man, the you know, the hypostatic union, he was fully man and he was fully God. He's able to now bring us into this relationship, this intimate relationship, as it says that the Bible says that the son is in the bosom of the father. And now he's bringing us into that place through his sacrifice, through his death, burial, and his resurrection. It says that he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where Jesus is now. He's seated in heaven on the right hand of the majesty on high. Um, in Psalm 2 it says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. You know, that's what the Father has done. He's, the, he's made him the heir of all things. It says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So that's what's happening now is that he is um, in these last days uh, seated in heaven and he's completed the work. He said on the cross, it, it is finished. You know, um, that's that's what that's the ministry he has on our behalf. Now he's seated in heaven and he's an advocate for us. And this is the Jesus that we have, the Jesus that we need to embrace. Jesus is seated in heaven, the one who is the root of David, the one that Moses prophesied about. He said, Moses said, um, thy Lord, thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Deuteronomy 18, 15. Jesus is that prophet that was going to be sent, um, that was like Moses. And there's a lot of similarities to um, Moses and uh, as a type of Christ, which I'm not going to go into. But 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 Moses uh, spoke of him and he is a fulfillment. He is that one. Jesus is the one. He has fulfilled the law and the prophets. That's established. Now the work is done. He's calling out a holy nation called a church. That's the church age. That's who we are. He's made us a royal priesthood. He's the one who's created all things with his very fingertips. That's what it says, that the creation of the world is just finger play. And he's the one who purged our sins, right? He washed them away with the power of his revealed right arm. It says the salvation of God, our salvation requires the revealed right arm of God. He created the universe with his fingertips, but our salvation required his revealed right arm. He's the brightness of his glory, a glory that can be experienced in the Lord Jesus. We can experience his glory. We have it. It's something we can take hold of, a brightness that's blinding, you know, we look to him and we, when our eyes are on him, when we fix our gaze upon him, we don't see our situation anymore. We don't see our pain. We don't see the things that worry us. We only see him. 
we see the lamb that take away the sins of the people. Uh, and that's the Jesus that the letter to the Hebrews wants us to see. That's the, the Jesus that we have, this, this intimate connection where we've entered into this relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, where Jesus comes from the bosom of the Father. And now through him, we have access to, to God. We have access to this power. We have access to this love, this manifestation of glory and brightness. And it can be seen in our lives. We can manifest this to others through his word. And that's what we've been called to do, uh, to believe God. And when we believe God, our life will reflect that belief. We may not be conscious of it, but we all have a ministry to everyone who is around us. And uh, when we have our eyes on the Lord, when we fix our gaze on him, that's a very powerful ministry to those around us, whether we're aware of it or not. So let's be like these uh, Hebrew believers and uh, let's embrace these truths that are revealed to us. Let's understand that there's a transition that's happened. We've gone from the Old Testament economy and that relationship to God to a new, more full revelation, a closeness that we can enjoy every day, every moment of the day. There's no reason why we shouldn't enjoy this constantly. And whatever is keeping you from enjoying that that's something that we need to pray about and we need to ask the Lord to help us to um, identify and to purge from our life because uh, Jesus is seated on his throne and that's where he needs to be in our life. And there's only one individual that seeks to take Jesus off of his throne in our lives and we know who that is. So we don't, we're not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. We know. Uh, but all we have to do is fix our gaze on Jesus, seated on the throne, and resist, and the devil will flee. So let's, let's uh, focus on that. Let's focus on Jesus Christ. Let's focus on all that he's done for us. And may it cause us to live lives that are more full, that are pleasing to him, and that we can enjoy all the blessings that come to us from this access. Um, let's keep our eyes on him. Let's close. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the letter to the Hebrews and the things that are revealed here. Um, certainly there's much more to your word than uh, even we've gleaned today but we pray, Father, that you would take the things that uh, we've studied and make them to be a very real part of our lives in a way that other people will see you, that they would see the brightness of your glory in us and in our lives. And we're not adequate for these things, but you have all power. Your word is your power and your word is in us. 
And we cling to your word and we live by your word and we pray that we manifest your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.